0: listening to the Retro Sermons podcast. Find out more at NorthColumbusChristians.com slash Retro Sermons. Well, as we planned a few days vacation, this is where we wanted to be today, and we planned it that way so that we could be with you. In June of 1957, Rob and I moved into the house just across the lot. It was unfinished at that time. The yard was not done, and so we had our work cut out in that area for a while, but what a joy it was. And some of the most fond memories that my wife and I have are of Sarah Lane. I'd like to reminisce a whole lot, and I know it would be enjoyable. There are just a few things that I'd like to mention. One Sunday morning, when I got up, as I am now, the doors opened and there was a tall, blonde lady and her husband following her with three children. They came in and I believe it was on the second or third seat there they sat down. And as I began to preach, the lady in particular, looked, and the farther I got into the sermon, the farther she got on the front of the seat, just taking in everything. The lesson was over, she went out, she said, we belong to a denominational church up the road and we were late, so we just wheeled in here this morning. But she says, I've been searching for the truth for eight years. That's the first time I ever heard anybody preach the truth that I can read in the Bible and we'll be back, and so they were. And that was the Phillips family. A very joyous time, but that's just one of dozens that we could tell. But the happiest time of our life was that when we went through the trying situation of the institutional question in this church, said, we're going to stand. They stood and have stood throughout the years. What pleasant, pleasant memories those were. In June of 1960, we moved to Albertville, Alabama, but the three years we were here were some of the most joyous years of our life. In trying to decide what would be appropriate for this occasion, recently when I was in a meeting in off uh, Alabama, some of you came and heard me preach the lesson, what is, no, Christ church or a denominational church, which? And in that lesson we discussed a number of things attitudes that the world in general has toward the Church, and particularly the denominational concept of the Church. And we asked such questions, to whom does the Lord's Church belong? And we decided, beyond the shadow of any question, it belongs to the Lord. He said, I will build my Church, and he did. We discussed such uh, questions as, can a responsible person be saved Outside the body of Christ, and we uh, said no, the Lord adds the saved to the church, to His church. We talked about do we vote on membership as to whether or not a person is accepted? No. The Lord adds to the church daily those who are saved. We discussed the subject is there a set plan? That everyone must obey in order to become a part of the New Testament church, and we pointed out very clearly from the scripture that to hear the gospel, to believe, to repent, confess, and be baptized are the keys into the kingdom of heaven, and that no person who refuses to do those things in faith will never be a part of the kingdom because they won't be saved, and the Lord adds on the saved to his church. We discussed such subjects in that, is the Lord's Church made up of all the denominations of the world? And our conclusion was absolutely not. We discussed the question, is the church a denomination? And we pointed out absolutely not. The church of my Lord is not one of 1,200 churches in the United States, but it is the Lord's Church. And that's the concept that we were faithful to the Lord must have concerning the church. Whose name should it wear? Let me ask any husband in the house, whose name does your wife wear? And you say, my name. Does it not stand to reason then that the bride of Christ would wear the name Christ? And indeed it would. But what we'd like to talk about this morning is that if we understand, and I believe all of us as members of the church do understand that these things are correct, the way we've answered them. We understand these things. But unless we understand how much the Lord's church means to me, or what is it worth to me, just how much am I willing to pay for the Lord's Church, to be a faithful member of it. What does it mean? What does this congregation of the Lord's Church mean to you? It means a lot to my wife and I, and I'm sure that it means a lot to you. But we need to ask ourselves some questions with regard to it to see whether or not it means to us what the Lord would have it mean to us. What does the Lord's church mean to us? Well, it doesn't mean anything to you if you're not a member of it. Oh, you may come and you may enjoy some things that the church does, the teaching and the singing, but in the long run, if you're not a part of it and a working member in it, it doesn't mean in the end anything to you. It's absolutely essential that we be members of the blood institution, the Lord's Church. It is not enough to be close to it. It's not enough to lean in that direction. I had a lady tell me one time, my husband's not a Christian, but he leans that way. That isn't enough. I had another lady to tell me one time, well, my husband isn't a member. But he is more regular in attendance than some of the members. And that's a shame, but it's true in a lot of instances. But it doesn't mean anything to him until he becomes a part of it. Nor will he receive the blessings in it until he becomes a part of it. So you see, the church is worth something to you only if you're a part of it. What does the church mean to you? Not a thing unless to you it's the only organization on earth in which the saved are housed. It's the body of Christ. And I'm growing increasingly disturbed at some of the attitudes that I find among brethren in their leniency toward denominational churches and the doctrines of error that they teach. I find some who seem to be quite uh, satisfied that though their children may have left the Lord's church, they are still in some kind of an institution of a religious nature. I find no comfort in that at all. As a matter of fact, it may be a deterrent to their good rather than to their good. For there they are taught error, their children are taught error. We need to understand that the church for which Jesus shed his blood is the only church upon this earth to which God adds those who render obedience to his will. And in it and in it alone can we offer any semblance of service that is acceptable to God Almighty. And if I don't have that concept of it, the church doesn't mean and cannot mean as much to me as it ought to mean. Because it was purchased by the precious blood of the Son of God And I need to look upon it with that reverence and that respect for it as being so. Well, let me go just a little bit further. What is the Lord's church worth to you? Nothing, unless you put it first in your life. Now, this is where it comes down to some real decisions. In Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. When does the Lord want us to put the church first? All of our lives. It is first, and if we don't give it that first place in our life, then it cannot mean as much to us as it ought to. It's important for Jesus taught several parables in the 13th chapter of the book of Matthew in which he emphasized the importance of the Lord's church. And in one of those parables, he pointed out that a man in search of goodly pearls found one pearl of great price He went and sold everything else he had and bought it. What's he saying? He's saying this kingdom or this church of which you have the opportunity and blessing of being a part may cost you everything. And certainly the attitude that I'd be willing to give everything for it ought to be my attitude. Once you have bought it, There's no way you can sell it and make profit. Anything that you may trade the Lord's church for would be downhill. It would be like a fellow in Montgomery when I was in school there many years ago. He had a long automobile. I've forgotten what kind it was, but he got a little more prosperous and traded it for a little Ford sedan. Bought it out to show it to a friend of ours who was... Well, it's kind of slow. And he said, uh, well, James, if you trade one more time, you'll have a wheelbarrow. And that's what it would be if when we become a part of the church, if for any reason or anything, we trade the church for that, we're the loser. There's nothing upon this earth more important to the child of God than the family of God, the church of the living God, of which he has the blessing of being a part. We can't trade it for a husband or a wife. We can't trade it for a job or a position. We can't trade it for a vacation or for fame or fortune. There's nothing on this earth that is more important to the child of God than the church that was purchased for the precious blood of the Son of God. Now let's for a moment think about what it meant to the Lord. The church was important enough for him to leave the glories of heaven, to come to this sin-cursed world, to die upon the cross of the true of Calvary, to shed his blood, to purchase or buy the New Testament church. He thought enough of it that he became the foundation upon which it was built, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. It was so important to him that he married it as his bride. It was so important to him that he's going to be the Savior of it. For as the husband is the head of the wife, so also is Christ the head of the church, being he himself the Savior of the body. He loved the church and gave himself up for it. And what does it mean to us? How much should it mean to us? It should mean more to us than anything upon this earth. And we certainly cannot trade it for denominationalism, and we can't trade it for a watered-down concept even within the Church of Christ. And I mean by that, the institutional Church of Christ. It's the Lord's Church, and we must recognize it as so. And in the Lord's Church, he has given us every inkling of instruction that we need as to what his work is, how we're to worship and serve God in it. And if we deviate from that at all, it doesn't mean as much to us as it ought to. For he's given instructions not only how to become a part of it, but how it's to operate in every field of its endeavor. And we must understand that it's the only institution on the earth that God has sanctioned to do the work that he's given it to do. And it must do that. And we cannot allow ourselves to even feel that it might be all right to be a part of the institutional Church of Christ. The Church is Christ's bride. Christians are married to the Lord. For a member of the Church to flirt with another religious organization, would be spiritual adultery. In James, the fourth chapter, verse four, the writer says, Ye adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever thou would be a friend of the world maketh himself an enemy of God. I want to notice that verse again, and if you'll turn in your Bibles to it, I'd like for us to look at James 4, verse 4 again. Ye adulteresses, that is, those who break your marriage vow with God. That's the footnote in my Bible in regard to the word adulteress. That individual who becomes a part of the Lord's church and then abandons it and becomes a part of or in sympathy with Another organization of a religious nature. It would be spiritual adultery. And as a man would require his wife to wear his name, so the Lord requires us to wear his name. And as the husband has the right to demand of his wife and vice versa to be faithful to him, so the Lord has that right to demand it of us. Somehow, I don't believe whether we're getting that point across. Maybe it's a little better at Saraland than some other places I've been, but we need to realize that since I began preaching some fifty years ago, attitudes toward denominationalism and the doctrines of men have changed immensely. They have softened. And I don't believe it ought to be. I, ought to, I believe that we ought to regard it as error, and I think we need to treat it as error. The time was when we were converting numbers of people out of denominationalism. But I wonder now, if we're not losing more people from the Lord's Church into the denominational world, than we're converting out of them. Fifty years ago, it was a very rare thing ever to see anybody revert to denominationalism. But I see it quite often today. But let's look at another. What are our motives for being members of the Lord's church. It's not so that we may socialize. It's not so that we may do things that we like to do other than those things that God wants us to do in obedience to him. What motivates us to do the Lord's will? The things that motivate us to do the will of God are the thoughts of being associated with the group of people who are on their way to heaven. And who will allow absolutely nothing to deter them from their course. The thing which makes membership in the Lord's Church appealing to me, some of them at least, I want to be among the redeemed. Jesus adds all of those who are saved to his church, and I want to be a part of that church that will make a difference as I stand before the Lord in judgment. I want to be where God meets man. It was in the tabernacle. It was then in the temple, but today it's in the Lord's church, and I want to be a part of it. And I want to be a faithful part of it, one that is fully in obedience and in compliance with the will of God. I don't want to be a part of one that has a shady side, that thinks the Lord has not given us all we need and then has gone out and devised in their own way other things to draw the crowd in, such as entertainment and socializing. That isn't the thing that motivates me to do the will of God. I want to be where God meets man in the Lord's church. In Matthew eighteen twenty, Jesus says, "For where two or three are gathered together in My name, there am I in the midst of them." In one Corinthians eleven thirty three, Paul said, "Wherefore, my brethren, ye come together to eat, wait one for another. There is an assembly." such as we are engaged in at this time in worship and service to God. In Matthew 26, 29, Jesus said, But I say unto you, I shall not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. We are this day in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as long as we worship and serve him in accordance to the dictates of his will, he'll be with us. The moment we go beyond it, doing things our way, rather than following the will of the Lord, we're in trouble. We're in deep trouble. And we need to come back to the Lord. In uh, Ephesians 3, You'll turn there. Let's look at it for a moment. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 20. I want to be where my worship and my service is acceptable to God. Here uh, Paul says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus unto all generations." forever and ever. Where is our glory unto God? In the church. What church? The church for which Jesus shed his blood. That which is built upon him as the foundation. Brethren, I'm interested not only in running a race, I'm interested in winning that race. And Paul says, I buffet my body and bring it in subjection, lest after that I preach to others, I myself should be rejected. Now, why would I be interested in devoting myself to a religious cause for which there is no Bible authority for it to exist? Why would I want to involve myself with a congregation who does some things according to the will of God, but go out here and left field? and do things for which there is absolutely no Bible authority. Why would I want to do that? Every race must be run according to the rules that regulate that race. And the race of a Christian is regulated by the word of God. And John says, Whosoever goeth onward and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Whosoever goeth onward and abideth in the doctrine of Christ, the same hath both the fathers, And the Son, I want the Father, I want the Son. But I understand that I can have the Father and Son on this long as I do what he says. And the moment I cease to do it, I do not for that moment have the praises and the approval of God Almighty. I want to win this race. I don't want to lose it. I don't want simply to fight. I want to fight the good fight of faith. And I want to lay hold on life eternal. I want my friends and I want my loved ones the same. But the only way we can have it is to commit ourselves to the will of God and live in obedience to his will all the days of our life. In Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, the Lord is not here talking about the denominational concept of the church. He's talking about the Lord's church. And he's talking about the Lord's church that is uh, made up of the saved. He's not talking about the Masonic Lodge. He's not talking about denominational churches. He's talking about the Lord's church. And he's not talking about The churches where we find additions and monies of the Lord spent for things for which there is no authority, find kitchens and sports facilities. That's not where it is. And if I affiliate myself with a group that goes onward and does according to the will of man and not the will of God, and I shall be left behind. But there's something else that I want us to notice, and we're going to hurriedly go through uh, these. What does the church mean? Not much unless you're a working part of all of its endeavors. And what I mean by that is that bench warmers within the Lord's family are not where we need to be. We need to be involved in every activity of the Lord's Church. You do if you're a member of this congregation. And if you love the Lord and you love the church and the church means to you what it should then when we have a Bible study you'll be here. And when we have a gospel meeting you'll make every effort in the world to be here and be a part of it. And men, when there's a business meeting unless you have elders I didn't find out if you did and if you do I'm so happy. But you need to be a part of it. When there's a work day you need to be here. That's a part of the work. And if you've been a member of the church long enough and you can be a teacher, you need to be involved in teaching. If you don't take an active part in teaching within the congregation in God's given way, then get out and teach your neighbors and your friends. If you love the Lord's church, and it means to you what it ought to, the only way in the world it's going to survive is for you to convert others, and you've done that over the years. But you do not need to let down. You need to convert others. For well, that's the way the Lord's Church will survive. Brother, and I want to be a part of that number when the saints go marching in. And I can't be unless I'm faithful as a member of the Lord's Church. It doesn't mean much to us unless we take it seriously. Unless we can comply with those things that prove our loyalty and appreciation to the Lord in it. And what are some of those things? Well, just being involved as a part of the Lord's church, doing His will in every way. For example, Once you have obeyed the Lord, in not forsaking the assembly, as the writer of the Hebrew letter says in chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, and you've learned that, and you're here, are you engaged in every act of worship? Do you sing with the Spirit and with the understanding? Do you listen and pray with ever who is doing the leading of the prayer, so that when it comes to a close and the amen is said, you have been aware and you can say amen as well? When you observe the Lord's Supper, are you, as the brother read a moment ago, observing it in light of what the Bible teaches it's for? Do you remember the Lord's death until he comes? Or is our mind wandering? from here to there. May well eat and drink damnation if we discern not the Lord's body. That's why we do that. And we need to draw our minds in from anything else and everything else and focus it upon the things for which we're doing it. Let us notice how And what the church means, should mean to us. I alluded to the fact a while ago that Jesus loved it enough to give his life for it, to allow it to be built upon him as a foundation, and to be a savior of it. He loved it so much that he shed his blood for it. Now, how much does it mean to us as members of the Lord's Church. And how can we prove to the Lord and to ourselves and the world that it means something to us? To be willing to put it first in our lives. As I said in the beginning, I know of no place that brings me more joy to think back than Sarah Land. And I've kept up with you a lot more closely than you may think through the years. Know many of the trials and tribulations you've gone through, and you've survived. You've not only survived, but you have survived with great faith and great works in the Lord. And that brings me exceeding joy. But it brings greater joy to the Lord. And I see new faces a part of it. And I hear good things about you and your efforts to serve the Lord. But let us understand what a privilege it is and what a blessing it is for us to be cleansed by the precious blood of the Son of God and by him being added to the only church for which his blood was shed, the church of our Lord, and for this good congregation of the Lord's people here at Sarah Lane. And I commend you to God for the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith in Christ Jesus. But we haven't won the battle yet. We must keep on keeping on. And we must be able to say at the end of our lives, as Paul was able to say, I have fought the good fight. Not just the fight, but the good fight. And the good fight is the fight of faith, the fight that is fought in accordance with the will of God. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, Paul says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but also to all of them that have loved his appearing. Are you a Christian? Are you a faithful member of the Lord's body? If not, I trust that the lesson has called your attention to the fact that you're without hope, without God, and it don't have to be that way. But if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, willing to repent of your sins, confess your faith, and be baptized for the remission of your sins, not according to the dictates of men, but according to the will of God, you can become a part of the Lord's church. If you are and have wandered away, what a wonderful time it would be for you to renew your allegiance unto the Lord by turning from whatever has separated you from him and asking the prayers of the saints for your forgiveness. If you're subject to heaven's invitation, the Lord bless you to make the right decision. As together we stand, as we sing. Amen. I'm the one will be very long.